Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here with the last week in Mortgage Today, our weekly whirlwind through all the latest and greatest news and updates from the mortgage industry. Each week, I am pleased to be joined by one of our lender members as my co-host. And this week, one of our earliest and first lender members going way back. Keith, I remember meeting you. I think it was at the IMB conference. We were, I was not even at TMC for, I don't think, like six months. And, uh, you know, you were kind of like, you know what? I I got a good feeling about what you guys are doing and I'm going to jump on board. So Keith Canner, CEO, First Community Mortgage. Thank you for that. And thank you for joining us to co-host today. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate you uh, allowing me to join. Uh, what? How many members are you up to now? We have 241 members. And I think you were like number... 10 or 11. I don't know about that. I, I do know that it's been one of the best uh, investments we've made in regards to uh, uh, being involved with TMC. Uh, just we're really looking forward to the conference coming up uh, in Los Angeles and uh, getting back face to face. As are we. And thank you, Keith. That means a lot coming from you and uh, appreciate it. And looking forward to the conversation today and getting your perspective on a myriad of different things going on in the industry. So uh, for our live viewers, you might want to turn down the brightness on your uh, video screen. I'm badly sunburned today. <laughs> I, I, was, I run the world's biggest wiffle ball tournament eight years in a row now. And uh, evidently it was very sunny this weekend. So, uh, but uh, on to the matter at hand. Um, Keith, before we get started though, if you could, uh, to level set with the audience, just uh, tell the audience a little bit about First Community Mortgage, your mortgage operation, uh, some things that make you unique, and any, anything interesting you have in the hopper here as we get into the heart of 2021. Sure. So First Community Mortgage will be celebrating our 20-year anniversary uh, this upcoming May. So really excited about that. Uh, we're a wholly owned sub- subsidiary of a local community bank uh, located here in Middle Tennessee. Uh, we, we kind of run all channels, retail, wholesale, correspondent, do some servicing. Uh, last year, you know, set records like everybody on the call. It's just a tremendous year. But uh, really fortunate that this year we're kind of on the same pace. Uh, we, we might exceed what we did last year. Somewhere around $3.6 billion is, is what we'll fund uh, this year. And, uh, you know, really rich, just uh, blessed to have. Uh, tremendous uh, leadership staff in place, which uh, really does the heavy lifting uh, and, and allows me to work on strategy, vision for the organization. And as I was sharing, we're really excited about the opportunity to get back to uh, kind of a normal pace at our, at our organization, working on working on our business instead of just kind of treading water. So we're, we're tearing things apart, looking at different processes, looking at redundancies, Looking to uh, obviously bring bring in some new technology and and uh, you know kind of right size of the organization as we move into uh, 2022. So uh, exciting times for sure, and uh, really good time to be in the mortgage business. Excellent. Well, let's get right into it. You know, I think the the biggest news right now in the mortgage industry uh, is the announcement that Fannie Mae made last week, uh, saying that they are going to start to allow rental payment history. Uh, to be considered in qualifying lenders for mortgage loans and only the positive side of it, though, only on time payments, uh, only if borrowers choose to. You know, anytime you have 
really since 2007 to 2008, any loosening of the credit box that inspires pundits and others to question if, uh, you know, this is the beginning of the swing of the pendulum the other way uh, in a direction that's not healthy. Uh, All in all, very largely positively received by the mortgage industry. I know you guys do so much lending for first-time home buyers, uh, community lending. Uh, Your take on the recent announcement by Fannie. Yeah, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle, um, to no surprise. Uh, anytime we can look outside of the box and do things that are responsible to help underserved or minorities achieve home ownership, I think that's a great thing. Um, and, you know, I, I go back to the day we, we got our FHA approval, full FHA approval at uh, First Community. I went and got my DE, believe it or not. And don't ask me for the, for the number, but uh, I actually have my DE certification somewhere. And didn't use it much, but you know we were taught the three C's or the four C's of uh, of, of underwriting, and that's uh, you know credit, uh, capacity, collateral, and I guess you could add capital if you're doing the four C's. But we were only learning the three C's, and and obviously this is talking about credit. And um, while the surface makes sense, right? You use the positive, but but why wouldn't you know like? And I understand a lot of it's going to be automated, but. Um, you know, you wouldn't overlook a, a missed mortgage payment. So um, you're right. Uh, you know, there's kind of a two, two sides to this. Uh, one, the positive of, I think it was 17% of, of, I don't know when the data set was looked at, 17% more people would have qualified for a home loan. And that's, that's a wonderful thing to happen. But you also don't want to put people in homes and set them up for failure, uh, as we did uh, in the Great Recession, I think. I think all of us were kind of guilty of expanding the credit box too far and, and putting people in homes that maybe didn't qualify. So, so that's what we'll have to watch. We'll have to be patient and, and, and see how this goes. Um, but it's clearly a, um, a directive now with um, the FHFA and, and HUD to really press hard to see what we can do about um, getting more of the underserved and minorities into uh, into homes, which again is a is a great thing on the surface, but we don't want to do something where we put someone in a home and then all of a sudden, you know, where foreclosures are starting to rise again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the mortgage meltdown uh, clearly government policy by both the Bush and the Clinton administrations. Uh, you know, some some fault there uh, that led to just an expansion of the credit box uh, using Fannie and Freddie as vehicles that was unhealthy. I I don't think this move puts us there, but I think what it does, and again, the number that you mentioned, that was the part of the report that really shocked me up to 17% of all, like that that was a, to me, a shockingly large percentage uh, of declined borrowers that that could have been approved if rental payment history was considered. That number really uh, surprised me, but it was also a sign that the Biden administration clearly is going to use Fannie and Freddie as a vehicle to pursue their housing agenda, almost a flip flop of what we saw with Trump and Calabria, you know, kind of trying to put the clamp down uh, and to move towards getting them out from under uh, government conservatorship. And now I think we're just kind of going in the opposite direction. Uh, mm-hmm. Fannie and Freddie are going to be used to, you know, to pursue housing goals and it'd be interesting to see how it's going to play out. Well, it's a couple of things. One is 
you know, back to the underwriting standards and, you know, there's all this talk about when's the crash coming, when's the real estate bubble going to happen and when's the big correction happening. Well, one thing that's going to mitigate that, we, we can talk about supply and demand, you know, all day long. And I clearly see a, a large, you know, demand and an undersupply of homes, but we'll move off that topic for a minute. But but the, the credit standards that we've maintained, um, you know, today, as opposed to, you know, the Great Recession uh, pre, you know, 2008, they're so much better today. And and that's what I don't want to see deteriorate to the point where it it, it collapses or weakens um, and exacerbates a, a, a healthy correction or a softening of the market. So, you know, that if, if we keep, you know, putting good quality uh, standards, you know, forward, again, not to exclude or not to get creative and find ways to help those that, that definitely deserve to get a home. Again, it's a balance, but we can't, we can't just, you know, loosen things to where we undermine something that's, that's on a positive trajectory. Uh, and then, and then the second thing I was going to say is it kind of leads into, uh, you were talking about that, you know, move away from moving the agencies out of conservatorship. Um, how about the collaboration that's now taking place between HUD and FA, the FHFA on fair lending? Um, another another sign that we're going to kind of mesh these these entities together, which is like you say, the opposite way of bringing them out of conservatorship, even it just kind of even more into government control. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, Fannie and Freddie have always had, uh, you know, fair lending and affordable housing goals that are put on them every year. We've had partnerships with both GSEs really since inception. It's something we talk with them about. We've done some initiatives, one that First Community participated in two or three years ago that was you know, designed around Fannie and Freddie supporting marketing efforts for affordable uh, lending products. Uh, and, you know, just being candid, that was brought to us to work with them on that because they weren't hitting their affordable goals. But as you just mentioned, HUD and FHFA just announced they're going to join forces on kind of real enforcement of Fannie and Freddie on hitting those affordable housing goals. So I can just tell you how this one's going to play out. We're going to see uh, you know, some new product, some expansion of uh, current products for low to moderate borrowers and uh, affordable housing initiatives. And uh, I think you're going to start to see it pretty soon because, uh, you know, uh, again, they're going to they're going to be held to these higher standards. Yeah. And the, the fear I have, Rich, is, you know, that we get back to and if the, if the guides or the, the, the fair lending laws are just clear and, and followed. But a lot of times we can't get guidance in the industry. And 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 I, the last thing I want to do is go back to a uh, Richard Cordroy, the the enforcement by like the we're going to we're going to enforce the rules by by uh, by fines. You know, like we're going to go out and find this lender and, you know, buy the fines and enforcement actions. That's how you need to follow the rules. And that's just such a backwards way of of working with the industry. And 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 I'm hoping that's not the case. I hope that. Uh, uh, there'll be collaboration. But from all appearances, uh, it's Sandra Thompson, correct? That's the FHFA head, interim head. I think she's done really good, and and I hope that uh, I hope that she continues, and the the um, FHFA continues working with the MBA and, and and groups like TMC 
to uh, to drive policy because that's the type of collaboration we need to continue on the healthy path we've been on. This is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. This week, joined by First Community Mortgage CEO Keith Canner. Uh, any questions, comments anybody has for Keith or I, or that you want to incorporate into the show, just pump them in the chat with the Q and A, and we'll be happy to voice them aloud. Uh, Keith, moving on to uh, away from government policy into you know some of the large public mortgage lenders in America, uh, many if not most of whom reported second quarter earnings recently, uh, you know, I think not a lot to be excited about. Uh, it was at Loan Depot and um, HomePoint both reported, you know, huge decreases in margins and net income. Uh, UWM, again, also uh, really drastically reduced profit margins. Rocket Mortgage, the same thing. Some of the iBuyers like Open Door lost about $150 billion in the second quarter. Um, and we were kind of talking about it before we went live. It's it's tough to be a public mortgage lending company. The business is just so cyclical and competitive and compliance-laden at that level. It's tough. Your thought on, on some of the earnings reports that we've seen over the course of the last couple of weeks? Yeah, not not surprising at all, um, and and they they all had record volumes, right, or, or or more volume than than before, and obviously it's just a it's just a function of margin, uh, margins already starting to compress and 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 get lower. You know, um, it's going to be interesting to see that the MBA will be putting out uh, probably within the next few days, maybe next week, the uh, peer comparisons of of non publicly traded companies. And if you look back at um, 2020 in our peer set, and again, we're a wholly owned subsidiary that operates in several channels. So I know all of the callers today may not be in, in that peer set, but they're they're fairly similar. And I know that in 2020, which was obviously an abnormal year, uh, profits in BIPs per loan were just under 140 BIPs in our peer group. Um, in Q1, that had quickly declined already to just under 100 basis points. And I'm really probably looking uh, for Q2 to be uh, somewhere between 50 and 70 basis points per loan um, in our peer group. And, um, you know, it was interesting. I was kind of prepping for this call and I found this quote by Michael McCauley, who's with uh, Garrett and McCauley. And it said that lenders need to prepare for margin compression because it's it, this is what he said, because it's likely to be significantly worse than 2018. <laughs> and uh, to me, that's a really scary statement. I don't know if he'll be right on that, uh, but we all remember the uh, margins that were taking place in 2018 and what a difficult year that was, um, you know, when probably half the mortgage companies out there lost money. So. You know, it's really time for for mortgage companies to bear down and look at be looking at um, you know people, process, and and their technology and platform, and 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 really start to work on their business and 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 get ready, you know, for margin compression and and obviously kind of a normalization of of the mortgage market. Yeah, and you talked about it at the outset, just that you guys, that this is what you guys are hyper focused on right now. But it's just a very interesting dynamic going on right now in the mortgage industry. Uh, you know, if you go back to before the pandemic, and you know, we were in New Orleans at our winter conference, uh, you know, two Februarys ago. You know, it, you know, 
modernizing their company, uh, new tech, emerging tech was at the top of every mortgage lenders like to do list for 2020. The pandemic hits in March and you can do nothing except just one react and change your business model for a month or two and then fend off business for about another year. Um, as you noted, it's still busy, but um, it's at a point where leaders like yourself can start to take a look at their business. At the same time, the clock's kind of ticking, right? All these big lenders are going public scale. Uh, Rocket Mortgage announces they want to be everything. Mortgage, title, appraisal, real estate. You got lenders, Zillow, that's going into mortgage lending. Um, and as you noted, this, you know, refis are going to fall off and the margin compression and the drop of volume is going to happen sooner rather than later. And, uh, I just view these next like six to 12 months as like the most important like ever for mortgage lenders in terms of your future viability and profitability. Yeah, we've been saying it for years and we COVID was a good excuse and, and the profits were a great, you know, fallback and, and, and excuse. But we've been trying to drive cost out of the mortgage manufacturing process for I mean, we've been saying it at every conference for, for years and years, and we just haven't been able to accomplish it. And uh, maybe maybe this will be the time because maybe maybe just the technology wasn't there. Maybe the, 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 the profits weren't there. Well, companies are flush with capital to invest. And it's really where are you going to invest that capital that was made in 2020? And uh, you already see deals happening, right? These blockchain companies coming in and, and, and partnering with uh, with with mortgage companies, and I think it's a neat um, kind of neat dynamic. Is do you do what Blend and Rustafa and some of the others did, and that was they built their product and had mortgage companies come to them, as opposed to a blockchain or a tech company coming in and just going ahead and buying a mortgage company and partnering with them, and then you already have the origination platform, and then you have the tech, and it meets, and and there's some magic there. It, it it'll be interesting to see for sure. This is the last week of mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined this week by First Community Mortgage CEO, Keith Canner. Got about 10 minutes left with Keith. And Keith, one of the things I wanted to kind of pick your brain on, First Community is such a culture-rich organization. You talked about the importance, though, of uh, bringing down costs. I, you know, just a lot of our members were considering, like, you know, announcing dates on full returns to the office, or at least, you know, uh, the announcement of a formal hybrid plan uh, with the Delta variant. Uh, you know, I think a lot of lenders have kind of taken the foot off the gas pedal there. Uh, where are you guys at with work from home versus work remote, brick and mortar space? Do you view that as a way that mortgage lenders can maybe cut some costs in the future? And uh, just your thought on that matter. Yeah, I think we've kind of beat up the pros and cons of working from home versus coming to the office. And I think that gets into the individual company's preference on how their their organization, their senior leadership wants to build culture. Um, what we've done, and, and we found this to be really appreciative of our buyer employees, is we've just given them the choice, um, you know, work from home, come to the office if you're local. And, you know, I'm an office guy, even though I'm at home today. But um, I like going into the office. I like being around people. And um, so, so I choose to do that. But I tell you what, where they, where our employees have done well, and I'm sure it's the same on, on with many people on the call, is they've earned that ability because they performed so admirably um, through, the, through the pandemic and, and being remote. You know, we were 
we were almost 100% remote there for for several months, and we and our efficiency numbers were through the roof. And with the technology today, we can we can measure you know most people's production. So um, we're we're very excited about where it kind of all shakes out. It'll be some type of hybrid approach. Um, we're not gonna. <laughs> Our employees, you know, when we do the surveys and you talk to them, we like, well, we'd like to have an office and the ability to work from home. And you're kind of like, well, you're kind of not going to get the best of both worlds. So we probably see where, you know, shared office space, uh, you know, where the IT group might come in one day and uh, they all plug down or HR comes in and just uses a, a section of the office, which will which will cut down the need for space. We're, we're not looking for lease space now, and we're certainly going to reduce overhead over time. Um, with this type of approach, we're going to need far less physical space. Um, and, and really that also when you have this remote environment, you really are able to hire from across the country, really from the very best talent pool. Our president of our organization lives in Atlanta, um, comes up a couple times a month, you know, visits with employees, but we've seen no, um, I don't know, problems with that type of arrangement. So, it's um, it's uh, it's it's been a positive to be honest with you. 2021, a lot more refinance activity than anybody thought we'd get this year. You know, in part due to I think you know the Fed being very aggressive uh, on the bond buying side, the Delta variant, you know, keeping bond and Treasury rates low. Um, as we move forward, though, uh, you know, there's only so much refi out there. Reports suggest the train's not coming to a stop yet, but, uh, you know, eventually we're going to be in a climate with, that is heavily purchased business driven. Uh, just looking at how this year has played out, uh, you know, you had really the spring like fury of people just, you know, the reports of, you know, 30, 40 bids on homes. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, pushed a lot of people uh, to the sideline talked on the show the last couple of weeks about just the perception that there are a lot of sideline wannabe home buyers out there. Uh, now we're starting to see some reports that this, the, the supply side, some help to the inventory side a little bit. I don't, I still think that's a, a major lingering problem that the industry is going to have to deal with, but Redfin does a real good monthly kind of state of the housing market report. And in that report, they said uh, in May uh, over 5% of listings dropped their sales price in May. There's been a lot of anecdotal uh, information and evidence out there. You're gonna see that again in June and then again into July when those numbers finally come out. But so it feels like people are starting to drop their prices a little bit. Uh, wannabe home buyers are, can be a little bit more selective. It feels like there's a lot of demand out there from buyers. Uh, the supply is still limited. How do you see the purchase market in general, playing out over the course of the rest of this year and into next year's spring and summer. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think we should. I think we should celebrate and get kind of excited about, you know, the fact that the market is, when you say softening, um, maybe returning to a more normal. Um, but I don't, I don't see it. Uh, I don't see it moving from a, from, from a seller's market. It's clearly going to stay with uh, more demand than supply. I think for. For a while, for for numerous reasons. Number one, just the lack of building that took place in 2010 to 2020, just millions of underbuilt, you know, homes that weren't built coming out of the recession. Then the millennials that sat on the sideline for years as they watched their parents lose homes and 
you know, the trauma that that caused and, and, and they got out of the market. Now, millennials 30 to 33 are coming into the market and, and buying homes and, and, and seeing that they're, they're good investments. So uh, I certainly see the next year and a half, couple of years uh, being a, a, a continuing to be a strong seller's market. Um, however, what we'd like to see, like you're talking about, is more of a normalization of, hey, uh, it's great that your house can sell in, in, in eight to 10 days if you're a seller, but not so much for a buyer. So if, if cycle times could just normalize back to, you know, maybe, <laughs> and it's crazy to say 30 days because they probably moved from maybe six days to 10 days right now here in, in, in the Middle Tennessee area. Um, but getting away from the ridiculous, I'll give 50,000 over your list price or 32 bids on a house that just went on the market and, you know, they do the coming soon just so they can get all the interest. And then by the end of the weekend, they have 30 bids, you know, and, um, if we can just get, get back to, to, to more of a normal environment, I heard you talk last week and, and the, the speaker, and I don't know if it was you or the speaker, they were talking about what a great opportunity now for loan officers to go back to all the people that they've pre-qualified over the last six months or year and start working in that list again, because a lot of those borrowers have got, got frustrated and, and moved out into rentals or they're still at their parents' house or whatever it might be. You know, it's time to get them back and say, hey, the market is softening a little bit. You know, let's let's take this. Let's try this again. Yeah, no, could not agree more. I think, you know, we, I think. The, the speaker last week was talking about just the sense that there's so many people out there waiting for this mythical like crash of housing prices. It's never going to happen because of the supply demand continuum being so out of whack and nothing on the horizon whatsoever that's going to change the supply side. So yeah, those borrowers that were looking for a home in March or April or May that went to the sideline because they, they think Valleys are going to plummet. They're going to wait it out. A good group to market to. You guys are headquartered just outside, maybe the hottest housing market in America right now. Certainly one of the top three or four, Nashville, Tennessee. Can't tell you how many anecdotal, uh, you know, stories I've heard just from members of ours of, you know, seeing people moving from the coast to cities like Nashville and Denver and Austin, uh, a little bit lower price, a little bit more in the middle of the country. Uh, what is it like the Nashville housing market right now? It's got to be crazy right now because of uh, just, you know, a lot of people want to move to that part of America. Yeah, on that same Redfin report, I read that as well, Rich. And um, Nashville is one of the cities that was listed that really hadn't declined that much. I think 74% of the listing still had multiple offers where the national average had sunk to, you know, somewhere around 60%. Um, you know, like many of the other Austin markets, Denver, those hot markets, we, we have had a, a big influx of, uh, you know, California, uh, Northeast buyers who have kind of wanted to get out of those urban areas um, and sell their home for millions of dollars and, 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 and move in. And while the prices have certainly uh, skyrocketed in Nashville to us, it, you know, that it seems like they're really high, but, you know, you come to it from a market like, you know, Los Angeles or San Francisco or Chicago or up in the Northeast. And really the home prices are, are somewhat affordable. Um, I think the last thing I saw year to date, the average sales price in Nashville media, like the, the metro area, um, had gone up from like 600000 at the beginning of the year to 670000 uh, in, in June. So a $70,000 or just a little over a 10% increase, uh, which isn't surprising. And it doesn't, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but 
but it's kind of in step with with the rest of the market. But six hundred and seventy thousand for a median income in median price home. When you talk about someone selling their home in California for a couple million, uh, their median price, it's, you know, it's, sounds like a bargain. <laughs> it's going to really be interesting to see, you know, I think, you know, once the dust settles on all the housing activity and, you know, there's going to be some, I think, interesting, like, uh, you know, movement of population reports that we're going to see uh, pop up over the course of the next year or two. That you're going to see definite migrations from you know, coasts and urban areas to uh, places like Nashville, more in the center of the country. And uh, one of many, many interesting byproducts of a crazy last year and a half with <laughs> the pandemic. So <laughs> Keith, always enjoy the conversation, talking about the business with you. Really appreciate you taking some time out today to co-host with me. Thank you, Rich. And we look forward to seeing you uh, at the upcoming conference. Yes, right a little over a month away. Uh, TMC reunited uh, in Tyrrhenia, uh, September 19 to 21. Uh, already have uh, just about 400 people registered. So it's all, already by far our biggest conference. So looking forward to seeing everybody. Look forward to seeing you and uh, many of you that I know are uh, on live and will be listening to this after the fact. So uh, until then, every Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern, the last week of mortgage today. We'll see you next week at the same time. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Take care. Thanks, Rich. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.